If we lose freedom here, there's no place to escape to. This is the last stand on Earth. All things safe. Representative Jason Sane. It's 11.06 on WSIC News Radio, and you're listening to All Things Sane. If you'd like to be part of the show, 844-STUDIO-4. We are streaming live on the WSIC News Facebook page, on Twitter, on, uh, or excuse me, X. Sorry. Yeah, it's X now. It's X now. YouTube and, of course, LinkedIn. And uh, uh, Representative Jason Sane, not here today. He is traveling, uh, doing some leadership business today. So uh, I am your host, David Coble, filling in today. And along with uh, Larry Shaheen, uh, attorney uh, extraordinaire Always here a pleasure. In, the, in the Huntersville Coordinator. Uh, hey, you're Larry, being, you're you? being way too kind to me there, dude. Well, I, actually, I'm getting ready to fix it because oh, I good. do have a little bit of a bone to pick with you. Oh, good. All right. So uh, many people may not know you have recently been um, uh, enshrined, if you will, as a <laughs> as a trustee of the great you know the greatest university in our UNC system, the University of North Carolina at Charlotte, mm-hmm. my alma mater. But on several of your profiles, all I see is Carolina and South Carolina. Oh no, I've changed everything. Okay, I don't think you have because our 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 bill, our engineer extraordinaire, I believe, found an instance of things that had not been changed. So oh, what, what, you, I, well, they're going to have to tell me before <laughs> I leave. I made sure to change as much as I could. I think there's one picture on Twitter of me trying to take a photo of, an, of a gator at Kiowa. But other than that, okay. I think there's everything all UNC Charlotte at Okay, this point. all right. I'm just making sure. Because, you know, as, <laughs> now that you are responsible for the direction and the le- you know, leadership oh, God, of that's my scary. great The way University. you say that just makes it sound scary. <laughs> I have all the faith in the world. Chancellor Gaber, I promise if you're listening, we're not going to say anything crazy today. <laughs> yeah, the, having having the fact that she knows both of us, I'm not sure that that's really going to pass. That's not going to make her feel bad. That's not going to make her feel <laughs> but bad. But let me know, it's great to have you back. Um, last time you were on, uh, we actually were filling in for Senator Vicki Sawyer, yep. now filling in for Representative Jason Sane, and obviously um, we are, fingers crossed, hopefully approaching the end of the budget cycle. Yes. I know that there has been a lot of work that's been going on over the course of the last several weeks. Um, we appear uh, by all you know by all indications that next week is still the target for a vote based off the comments coming from the speaker and the senator and the uh, senator uh, Phil Berger. So, but um, you know, from an overall budget standpoint, where do you feel like we're at? What are you hearing and sort of I, what I, should we look at? I think we're there. I think we're there. And ultimately, what we're seeing is just now some of these last minute things that are going to kind of go through some of the. So I think there were some bills yesterday that got pulled. One was an occupancy tax issue that wasn't real quite ready for the floor. They're going to bring that back with a change to it, from my understanding, and then go forward on that one. There's also the issue on the elections bill that's going to be deal, dealt with. There's a permitting reform bill that's sitting in the Senate that I think is going to probably move forward. But regards to the budget, the goal, I think, is to take votes on the 13th and 14th of next week. So there should be a budget passed into Cooper by then. Now, process after that. They pass it, get it to him. He has 10 days. So it'll be 10 days. He'll either veto it first day, send it back, or he's going to then let it pass into law, which I don't think he's going to. I think he's going to take the entire 10 days message against it, then veto it, then send it back and make them. Even override. with Medicaid expansion, you think he even with it. Medicaid expansion. Here's why he doesn't he's not going to like the tax package. He's not he's, he's just not going to buy into the tax package because the tax package, as you and I both know, is contingent on a couple of different things, which includes some some things that are a little bit more controversial. So the finalization of that tax package is probably going to include some caps. So where if you don't hit revenue numbers, then you're not going to see the reduction. But even so, that's still a lot further than I know that Governor Cooper wants it to be. Now, let's be clear. If he had signed the budgets over the last six years, teachers would have a significant raise from where they are right now. But he chose not to do that like a 
intransigent dork that he is. So ultimately, and I don't care at this point. I mean, yeah. I'm sorry, UNC Charlotte, you're going to hear some <laughs> some hard truths about your governor, and it's just going to be the way it is. But to a certain extent, the, the, the situation continues to be the way that 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 before Speaker Moore, then Speaker Tillis, and and Senate Pro Tem President Berger has just been so genius in how they're negotiating this is that by allowing a continuing resolution to fund the state at the level that it was funded the year before, we've never had the breesmanship that's happened at the federal government ever. Thank goodness. And it has made a huge amount of difference because we've been able to show and prove that you can run the state on a conservative fashion and continue to do all the things we need to do. And even when we didn't have a budget, for almost two and a half years, we were still one of the number one places to do business in the country. So for those who say we need more and more government, I don't buy it. Yeah, no, absolutely. I'm interested in your perspective on this, right? Because I think, you know, sort of the last key, and there's been a lot of uh, stuff in the news about casinos and things like that. I know that there's a portion of that, you know, that feeds into the revenue. Um, I'm not sure that gets done this time around. It depends on who you talk to. Um, But there was a lot of, um, and we talked about this on Senator Sarger a a couple of weeks ago, about a number of these counties that had, you know, been, been, you know, rumored to be the targets of, you know, of of housing these. Uh, A lot of them don't want them. No, um, I mean, it's amazing. No, we had people up there protesting yesterday. That was re- that was crazy. You had a whole crew from Rockingham County just really, roll, yeah, roll up there. Yeah, and it's interesting because I mean, you know, there, there's a fair amount of economic development. No, lot, no, no, it, no it's, doubt. It's that a comes no with these brainer things. economic development project, but it's got um, it's got it's got its folks that are not so in favor of it, and unfortunately, it's turned into a campaign issue when you see former Congressman Mark Walker. God and and bless uh, him. former rep uh, Andy Wells has well, yeah, made it for, part yeah, of his Andy now. Wells is out there now campaigning against it. It's it's just it's 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 gotten to be a tough issue. Yeah, and I don't envy those in the decision making process that they've got to be able to try and if that's something that they're trying to get done, uh, that's going to be a tough a tough needle. To, to threat. Well, especially going into a Republican primary. Yeah, now, I right. mean, right, wrong. I mean, as a broader population. Well, filing's of the in whole, December. Right. We're th- filing we're four December. months. We're three months away from filing. I mean, when you think about it, because yep. you've got all of September, all of October, all of November, filings immediately starting in December. So there's not going to be any time for there to, to be any dissipation of any anger for anything that's been done at the budget for folks to be able to come out and say, nope, okay, I'm done. We're going to go file against this because of this issue that's made us angry. That's the cost of delaying these things into later in the year is that they ultimately wind up becoming closer and closer to the filing deadline where you don't have that time for people to cool off. Right, exactly. And I think one of the interesting things about this, and I'm interested in your perspective on this, mm-hmm. um, you are obviously uh, someone who has spent a lot of time um, inside of North Carolina politics, inside of Mecklenburg um, County politics, Charlotte region politics. And so from your, obviously, you're more than likely we're never going to see your name on a ballot. No. Uh, because we would have talked about this I moved downtown on purpose. I, exactly. live, I live right off Trade Street so that I can't run. That was so that done you on can't purpose. Run. But I do... So obviously this this latest tax package, and obviously the governor will have a problem, like you said, with the tax package with the you know cutting taxes again. Philosophically, we right now, for all intents and purposes, North Carolina, number one state to do yep. business. Record revenue yep. still coming in. Rainy day fund in yep. the billions. Um, we're able to pretty much fund and do a lot of stuff with the current tax um, sort of structure that we have. In your mind, is there a point where, because remember, as you said, you know, taxes are the price we pay for living in a civilized mm-hmm. government and or civilized society. So at what point is it like, you know what, we're good. 
we have a tax package that is low. It has made us advantageous for business. We are bringing in revenue, but we still have government obligations that have to be funded, teachers, roads, infrastructure. Yeah. At what point in time do you, the, in your mind, is it, okay, we're probably hit a good point now? I don't think we're ever going to hit that point from an income stance, in, in, income uh, tax perspective. And we can come back to this on a, on, a, on a tax theory idea. When you look at places like Tennessee, Texas, Florida, South Carolina, places that do not have income taxes, right? For individuals. It makes a huge difference. And the reason that it makes a huge difference is because it's something for retirees. It's something for individuals. We can shift to a consumption-based model that's stable and still find ways to make it work. South Carolina makes up for it with increased property taxes. Tennessee makes up for it with more sales taxes. Texas makes up for it increased property taxes. Florida does sales taxes. There's all these kinds of ways to get there. I think that an income tax doesn't necessarily help us. We've got to look at ways to modernize the tax code, especially Absolutely. in fuel taxes for our transportation needs. 100%. You're listening to All Things Sane here on WSIC News. We will be right back. Can't see uh, Larry see C kinda... over here jamming. You're welcome back well, to all you, things. Did you see the meme? So apparently they've created this this technology in a Mercedes, where if you're stuck in sand or mud, the Mercedes will bounce, and you can bring it back and forth to get it out of stuck mud or or, or uh, sand. Really? But of course, that's not what people are using it for. They're just bouncing the Mercedes. <laughs> that's what out I would there. use it for. I'm just sitting there thinking we're bouncing around in the Mercedes. Well, and how, often, how often do you see people off-roading in their Mercedes? I mean, that, that yeah, seems like but if you're off-roading in a Mercedes, you're doing something a little bit wrong. You You've got more money than you know what to do with. True story. Welcome back to All Things Sane on WSIC News Radio. This is your host, David Cole, along with Larry Shaheen, filling in for Representative Jason Sane today. If you'd like to be part of our show, 844 Studio 4 are still streaming live on the WSIC News Facebook page, YouTube. Twitter, or X, formerly known as Twitter. I'll get that right eventually. And LinkedIn. But leading into from the hip-hop music, obviously that is the appropriate way to lead into additional conversation about taxes oh, yeah. and tax theory. Yeah. But before the break, <laughs> we were sort of talking about what is there a right uh, threshold? And again, I was posing the question. I'm definitely not a supporter of, of higher income taxes, to be sure. But I was posing the question, Larry, to you, sort of about taxes from a budgetary standpoint and an obviously, you know, a waste when we were talking through the break to, you know, a way to incentivize business. So pick up where you left off and sort of well, and, and it's important it's important to talk about what's gone on since 2011 because when the republicans took over in 2010 when they got the majority in 2011 they did not do what happened in kansas it's it's important to talk about places like kansas there they cut taxes but they did not cut spending okay so what happened you had a massive hole in the budget, right, that they had to go fill. That created a problem. Kansas now has a Democratic governor. It did not go the way they wanted it to. North Carolina has a Democratic governor, but that's only because of uh, a lot of different things that have absolutely nothing to do with policy. That has a lot to do with, with the way the, the governor then at the time happened, a lot of other things. But North Carolina should have a Republican governor, just period. But when you look at the legislature— Kansas's legislature took a significant amount of hits because they did not cut spending while cutting taxes. North Carolina did. North Carolina significantly cut spending in 2011, 2013, but they had to because they had no choice. They had a big deficit that they had to make up for. So by doing so, it enabled them to be able to actually grow the pie 
by incentivizing business activity. What a surprise. You're working through the tax code to incentivize business activity. You're actually growing the pie. And the funny thing is, is that all these people who say, well, trickle-down economics doesn't work. Come to North Carolina and tell me that that doesn't work. That's nonsense. And not only that, when you look at what, what, what the tax code has done, you want to talk about the renewable portfolio standard. Okay, let's just talk there. That's, that's a dirty word in the energy business. But the renewable portfolio standard forced energy companies through their finance policy and through their regulatory policy to have to invest in certain renewable projects. Those projects were then given a tax incentive. Okay, made them more profitable. So what did Duke have to go do? Duke had to go buy all these solar farms. And who got rich on that? Nothing but a bunch of liberals. <laughs> Nothing but a bunch of Democrat liberals, one of whom ran for Congress, Dan McCready. And the thing is, is that Republicans need to be thinking about tax policy in the exact same way. We have got to start thinking, what industries of our country do we want to be here? Like, they've done some stuff for VinFast, Clean energy, great. They've done some stuff for battery technology, Toyota. Absolutely. What's next? What industries do we want to lead in? We can have a semiconductor chip facility in North Carolina, but we have to really, really want it. Wolf Speed is doing it, right? But we, we it, you want to be that thing. What don't we have that other states have? A major manufacturing facility that is seriously a manufacturing facility. Like we don't have a Mercedes. We don't have a BMW. We don't have a Hyundai, any of these major, major manufacturers. And Toyota might as well be an American company at this point for all the American individuals that it employs. And it does a fantastic job. VinFast, I don't know if their market capitalization number is going to hold up, but we've incentivized that activity and they've come here. So what's next? Well, we know that we've got an issue in terms of inner city issues where lots of buildings that do not have housing. There's no, there's no housing in some of these uh, places that's affordable. We also know in Charlotte alone, we have 100 vacant floors in BNC product. But it's not just in Charlotte that vacant buildings are an issue. Go to Statesville, mm -hmm. go to Mooresville, go to all these older buildings. What's the incentive to go in and refit them when you're not going to be able to recover that money for 30 or 40 years? Unfortunately, we've gone to an economy that wants to think about one to five to 10 year returns. So how do you get people to invest in our, in, our, in our older cities and in downtown areas? Well, it's real simple. You use the tax code. You need to start, we need to start thinking about ways to incentivize adaptive reuse. We need to be able to come in, take an old mill, take an old building, uh, find a way to write off the cost of the adaptive reuse, of the actual cost. And then come in and say, if you're doing affordable, say, for example, you do an 80% AMI affordability component within that housing, you get a property tax break mm -hmm. for 10 years. As long as you put it in the deed that for this amount of time, it's going to be this much affordable. doesn't necessarily matter, but it, you got to get it in there. So then you're incentivizing it through the tax policy instead of coming back and saying, here, like what Charlotte does, let us give you cash, developer, so that you can bridge the gap between the profitability number that you need and the number that it actually is from a cost perspective. There were, I think, 12 projects or 10 projects that had to go back to the city and ask for more money. 
That's ridiculous. We shouldn't be spending government money on that. We should be incentivizing that through the tax code. No, and I think right now, I mean, cities, I think, um, are trying to get to a point where, so, for example, uh, in Mooresville, um, they have uh, an affordability uh, incentive that centers around density. Right. Um, so if you have X, uh, X, no, X percentage of your um, units that meet the AMI standard, mm-hmm. uh, you can get that same uh, percentage in a density bonus. The problem is, is that the um, numbers don't pan out. The numbers just, still don't pan uh, out. Still don't pan out on density because the cost of construction is that's high. right. And so you don't you you don't get developers really taking advantage of those things. And a lot of times they'll pay the fee in lieu, um, right? So they can get the increased density right. and just not have to carry the right. AMI. And so I think one of the things that and plus uh, increased density always presents a political problem around yep. here for a lot of and so people and so there's a hesitancy all around to use that type of incentive. Yep. So what you're talking about makes a ton of sense. In is that we have to provide the incentives that work yes. in order to get the ultimate outcome that we're looking for. Yes. And it's very tough at the municipal level because a lot of times the the toolbox is not as big as it is, at, you know, for example, at a state level. Well, and that's what, like yeah, that. but that's why mm-hmm. you got to do it at the state level so that everybody has access to the same toolbox. And furthermore, you and I know this, it's hard to get elected officials to want to vote for stuff that's necessary that may not necessarily be popular. Right. Right. Cornelius was a good example. They just turned down Industrial Flex Park. They needed that. Huntersville turned down Burkdale. They needed that. You actually, uh, it was funny, of all people in the world, Braxton Winston, God bless him, goes out there and says, if a city is not growing, it is dying. I completely agree. These communities have to continue to be growing. You know, that's a very liberal Democrat. I'm a very conservative Republican. But the two of us agree, and a lot of people agree. The problem is, as you well know, we've got these folks that moved here in the last five to 10 years who want to shut the door and pull up the ladder and say, no, 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 no. This place is beautiful just as it is. I want it just for me. No, folks, this place was made great because we wanted you to be here. Mm -hmm. If you're not going to continue in that same vein, if you're not going to say that we want more people to come and experience this and we're going to find a way to make it work, all of a sudden, sooner or later, you're going to find that, oh, crap, we're not growing anymore. Then you have to spur that. Yeah. And you have to spin the wheel back up, and it always costs money to do that. Well, and to be fair, it's, it's it's always interesting to me because it really is a paradox, right? People move in, you know, if you do not want to be in a growing area, there are numbers of places you can go yes. that you are pretty much assured, you know, basically just go a little past Raleigh. That's and right. And you are assured you will never find growth or there. Or you go to Alexander growth. County. Or if, yep, yeah, Alexander go to County. Alexander County. You're never going to have growth there. No, never. And Sorry, and, folks. Sorry. Well, and, 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 you know, it's far enough out. It's rural, and that's a lifestyle that people, and I embrace it, absolutely. Yeah. But the problem is you're not going to have multiple restaurants to choose no. from. You're not going to have multiple grocery stores to choose no. from. You're not going to have multiple shopping and movies and other entertainment areas in That's order right. to choose from and the convenience that those bring if you do those. So yep. you are going to have to make a trade-off. And what I find is, is people want those things, but don't want the growth required that's to right. have them. That's and right. so that's, and so that's one of the things that we have to really kind of figure out is, is, is and there's just no good way to message that, no, right? There's you can't no stick that on a mail or a commercial. There's no. no good way to message that. Well, and that's the problem is that you're sitting here like, and Everybody's on Facebook, right? So it becomes a contagion, like this Facebook contagion where everybody's like, oh, my goodness, how are we sitting here? Oh, my God, it's so awful, this new thing, and it's all over, and all the moms get upset. It becomes this shrill pitch noise. And all of a sudden, what really needs to happen is everybody just needs to sit down and be like, it's really not that bad. It's really not. It really is not that bad. 
The, I promise the you. The sun will come up. The sun tomorrow. will. I promise you. I promise you, you it will come up. You tomorrow. may have to wait a minute longer in the in the line to get to your left turn to get to the Harris Teeter right there on Catawba. But I promise you, you're still going to be able to get there. Absolutely. And so, but uh, I did want to bring this up because it was interesting. You know, Charlotte, um, obviously, still just the 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 growth challenges and the redevelopment challenges in Charlotte are just are are so different yes. than anywhere else. And you know, it seems like the Charlotte City Council feels like that. You know, their city manager is doing a pretty good job. Four uh, percent raise uh, for him. He's going to get the same the county manager got. They can't, those two compete. They can't not be the same. Really? County manager got four. City manager's going to have to get four. They, oh, they, that's how they do it down there. Yeah, it's interesting to me because, you know, I think it took him well above, I think, the uh, $500,000 mark. Oh, yeah. But I know that the county and city are also, I know there's discussions going on between uh, the Panthers mm-hmm. and the city of Charlotte about renovations to Bank of America Stadium. But not too long ago, it, I think it was the county that basically came back and said, yeah, you're not getting a dime out of us. Yeah, that'd be that's typical Dina DiOrio. God bless her. You yeah. know, Dina DiOrio has kept our tax our tax. Our county taxes lower than all the rest of the surrounding counties. We've not had one tax increase in Mecklenburg County in almost six years. Really? Yeah, you could call this last one kind of sort of a tax increase because it went didn't go exactly to revenue neutral. And they did that again in 19. But from 2018 to 2023, Dina DiOrio, with her leadership at the county, has not put forth a budget that actively calls for a serious tax increase. Unlike Wake County, where they've had five years in a row of tax increases. Charlotte's the same. So I give him credit. I will tell you, I would not have given him a 4% raise given the issues we've had with cats, but that's a whole nother issue. And just for the benefit of those listening who may not, um, and of course all of Representative Sane's listeners are highly educated in things like this, but in case we have a random person who just tuned in, why is it that Mecklenburg County could afford not to uh, increase their taxes well, yeah, in the last six years? Yeah, that would be because of all of the revaluation and growth. And growth. That we've had. The G growth. word. The jetted G that word. awful G word. <laughs> You're listening to All Things Sane on WSIC News Radio. We will be right back. All Things Sane on WSIC News Radio. Uh, you're listening to David Coble and Larry Shaheen filling in for Representative Jason Sane. If you'd like to be part of the show, 844-STUDIO-4. We are still streaming live on the WSIC News Facebook page, on YouTube face, on YouTube X, and LinkedIn. Man, it's just getting more you're and more getting, complicated. You got that better. I'm just going to start saying Twitter. You see, I, I just, I'm just going to keep saying Twitter. It's Twitter. It is I still mean, Twitter. Unless, unless, until Elon sends me a cease and desist, Intrus- I'm going to call it, I'm gonna call like it Twitter. Exactly. That's what it is. I'm still going to call it the tweets. But uh, thanks. And so we're going to pick back up today. Uh, Larry, you um, you know, had some really kind things to say about our governor earlier. Um, and so, you know, obviously a big <laughs> friend of yours. But um, in something that I know will cause you distress, uh, Court of Appeals looks like that uh, bar owner's lawsuit against him can move forward. That's Oh, that's so great. And so, and, and for those of you who are not familiar with the, sort of the lawsuit, sort of what's the basis and what are the bar owners suing for? So now here, here's an interest. This is an interesting situation. So the bar owners sued saying that the governor did not have the authority under the executive orders, under any executive order that he had to shut them down, right? Without just compensation. Well, the judge dismissed that. They appealed it. That's an interlocutory appeal. So the suit doesn't go forward until that is heard. The Court of Appeals just ruled that 
the case can go forward, that they presented enough to survive a dismissal. So now it's divided, though. So it's going to go to the court. It's going to go to the Supreme Court. So the Supreme Court is going to have to rule. Likely, the Supreme Court will rule that the case can continue at that point. Then we're talking about a condemnation lawsuit, which is essentially what it is, because you're talking about the condemnation of the bar business due to the pandemic and whether or not because the governor shut their businesses down, they are due just compensation. I think that's fantastic Mm -hmm. because personally, I believe and everyone else, I think on this station, anyone else listening probably believes that none of these places, hotels, restaurants, bars should have ever been shut down, period, that they should have been able to decide for themselves how they do social distancing, that they should have never been stuck with the possible choice of what do we close or do we just go out of business because we don't have the money coming in to be able to pay people. Or how do we do this? North Carolina had a, had a unique solution with the ARPA funds where they put $500 million aside. And it's thanks to Representative Sane. And, and I want to make sure that the folks here are listening. Without Representative Sane, we would see hotels, bars, and restaurants in this state likely have gone out of business. And we would have likely seen a lot of those folks not be able to survive the run-up back to where we are now with hospitality spending. Because th- that program... We're the only state that did that. And that's a lot of credit to not just Representative Sane, but the folks at the North Carolina Restaurant Lodging Association, Lynn Minges, full disclosure on the on the interest here, my fiance, who is, who is Isabel Garcia, <laughs> who's the lobbyist for that organization. Without them pushing and without Representative Sane and, and, and the folks in the Senate buying in to what Representative Sane was trying to do, the hospitality industry in the state would be fundamentally different Mm -hmm. than it is now. So this lawsuit is so vitally important because we cannot ever have a repeat of what happened during COVID. The governor does not have that power. He should never have had that power and no one should have let him have that power. And if this lawsuit properly clarifies what he can and can't do during an emergency order, well, that's great. He wants to shut them down. He should have paid them for the losses they sustained out of government coffer. Absolutely. No, 100%. And I think, and I'm interested in your perspective of this as an attorney. So obviously there, as you mentioned earlier, there's it, it basically de facto condemnation, right? Yeah. And, and without just compensation, illegal taking. And so what I'm curious about though, is does the arbitrary nature in which closings were enforced, but not, not nationally, but even in our state and the arbitrary nature in which those, how does that play into this? And, and, you know, is that a factor that should be highlighted or is it really just come down? Down to the the ability of the governor and, and ultimately property rights. Well, it's a property rights issue. It's a, it's a property rights issue. It doesn't matter. The arbitrary nature in which they enforced it was, of course, ridiculous. But you could look at Ace Speedway and see what happened up there. For those of you on the show that don't know, Ace Speedway was shut down and they sued the governor and their lawsuit's continuing. Um, but they chose to reopen, so they actually had violations. Um, it, it, but arbitrariness or not, it's a property rights issue, Okay. The government shall not, it's in both the federal constitution and it's in the North Carolina constitution. You shall not be, uh, have property taken from you without just compensation, which means without, there's, it's, it's a very clear standard. So the fact that their businesses were essentially taken in what was at that time deemed an emergency, okay, give them a check. Mm-hmm. It's really that simple. You take it. You give them a check. The MAP Act lawsuit for inverse condemnation was done that way. We've proven this over time with property that's taken for roads. If you're going to take property for a public purpose, and, and the Kelo decision at the United States Supreme Court very clearly said that states do have that right. 
but it must be only through just compensation. So let, let's play this out. Goes forward, ultimately, you know, after I'm sure a sea of appeals. I mean, for all intents and purposes, Governor Cooper will likely out of office by the time that probably. this probably comes into probably. any kind of resolution. So let's say that uh, finally it gets to the end of where it belongs, even if that's the United States Supreme Court. If it is found that compensation is owed, who pays it? Uh, the state. And so where does that does the that, general is that an, assembly is, is going to have to appropriate that money? So it, so it's not a situation where because like in municipal government, for example, if lawsuits come through, there is an insurance. Uh, you know, uh, there's, there's no yeah, there's, there's, no, there's no insurance. insurance on this. Well, like and that. it's going to really determine whether or not this gets to be a class action. If this turns into a class action type of issue where you're talking about every single bar owner is due compensation. Man, you're talking about something. That's a big number. That's a big number. And but here's the other thing that consideration to draw into this. Who's the attorney general? At the time of this case, if it's Dan Bishop, does that mean that at that time we're going to be done? Because if I'm Dan Bishop, I'm campaigning on the fact that I'm not this. They're right. They're right. These people deserve compensation because we should never have shut them down. And as I and, and if elected as attorney general, I, Dan Bishop, will make sure that these things never happen again. I will sue the governor if he chooses to do this, no matter what party he's a, he, he comes from. And then ultimately you're talking about just settling it. Yeah. Which, and yeah. That, which, which they need to. They need to. They need to. These people had these people had their lives stolen from them because the governor and none of it was true. At this point, we've pretty much determined that none of those things were necessary. But of course, God bless Washington. They, of course, promote Mandy Cohen right there <laughs> to the CDC. So we're going to get that same nonsense coming back again. But it, it don't even start. It's, it's, it's one of those situations where you sit there and you're like, okay, that's how... That's how it's going to go. Yeah, absolutely. Other lawsuit going on, uh, 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 Supreme Court Justice Nita Earls yep. has a lawsuit going on, which I actually really wasn't familiar with, but a lot of uh, some free speech implications in on this one. There are some free speech implications. So what has happened is that the Judicial Standards Commission has uh, filed a complaint. There's been a complaint filed, and it's anonymous, so we don't know who filed it. But the Judicial Standards Com Commission is dealing with a complaint from someone against Anita Earls on some statements she made, both during some interviews as well as some statements she made from the bench that disparage the court. Now, there's two issues here. The first is First Amendment rights. A judge does not check their First Amendment rights at the door. That's absolutely right. They walk out of court. They have the rights to say whatever they want. However, judges are held to a different standard. Those standards apply because you've decided you want to be a judge. So if those standards apply equally to everybody, you have to follow them. And if Anita Earls, God bless her, you know, and this is the part where I always find funny. If this was a Republican, if the, if the roles were switched, the Democrats would do this in a heartbeat. The Democrats would go after a Republican judge in a heartbeat. Mm -hmm. So I have no sympathy for Justice Earls because Justice Earls, in my opinion, and I'm going to... I'm going to have a strong opinion here. <laughs> you, a strong opinion? She's the most corrupt individual in North Carolina. Wow. She is the most corrupt elected official in North Carolina. And here's why. She took Eric Holder's money, then sat on the court and heard the case and decided in their favor. That's purchasing a justice for the purposes of ruling on a redistricting case. She should have recused herself, and she didn't. And she has brought shame and complete blemish to the North Carolina Supreme Court. She has served with nothing but dishonorability. I personally find her to be abhorrent. 
I personally think she is a absolutely terrible lawyer. And I personally think that the way she is conducting her business is in, is a way that, 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 that bismirches every lawyer in all of North Carolina. And I hope, and I hope that she continues to do what she's doing because she's the one probably behind getting Mike Morgan to challenge Josh Stein in that primary. She's been the, the brain behind all of this super progressive left nonsense. And let's be clear, there's a group out of Arabella Advisors. They have an office in Durham. Her organization was funded by that group, okay, to sue our state consistently. That money that came from Arabella Advisors was funded from foreign actors. And the money that Eric Holder used to get her elected was funded by foreign actors. I don't mean people outside North Carolina. I mean people outside the country. And you can go search this. This is not all that difficult. I find her and the way she has conducted herself and her business to be the biggest example of non-exposed corruption in the history of this state. That's, I mean, that's obviously you um, spend a lot more time looking at this kind of stuff than I do. I mean, and so, and a lot of passion around that. And as an attorney, you know, obviously, you know, anyone who has ever heard you talk about the law or heard you, um, you know, talk about cases or talk about the laws in North Carolina, understand there's an underlying passion that you have yeah. and a respect that you have for it. So strong statements like that, obviously to me, uh, that's, that, that says a lot about not just the passion, but also just the gravity of some of the things that you've seen in this. And it's been, I have never in my life, and, and I mean, I mean, it, 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 and it doesn't just extend to her. I mean, you're looking at you look at what happened with the redistricting cases last year, two years ago, how you had two folks appointed special master to draw districts in North Carolina who both donated to people who ultimately benefited from the maps they drew and then went around and campaigned for the people that they had rule in their favor. The whole thing two years ago in mine, and it's all over Twitter. So this is not something I have not said. The whole thing was a corrupt act. And anyone from the Democratic side who took part in it, including those special masters and Anita Earls, the fact that there has been no investigation and no exposure of that corruption is just criminal. Well, and yeah, and so it's like, everybody, it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. Move, on. Move on. Josh Move on. Nine not doing his job again as it's, usual. It's all fine. It's all fine. But um, but we're going to come back after the break. Talk a little bit. There's a couple of bills coming through um, inside of the General Assembly, and also want to catch up with you on post presidential debate. Last time that yep. you and I were together, we talked a little bit about not just the debate, but also who we thought would come out well. So looking forward to getting your thoughts on that. Absolutely. You're listening to All Things Sane on WSIC News Radio. We'll be right back. Insane up here in his chains, back with a little <laughs> glass of bourbon. Enjoying yeah. himself. Enjoying himself. Guy, he's got it sweet here, he, man. It is. This is a fantastic studio. Studio C and the C is for Copel, if anybody asks. Welcome back to All <laughs> Things Sane here on WSIC News Radio, where we are in with Larry Shaheen, David Cole filling in for Representative Jason Sane. Uh, still uh, streaming live on the WSIC News Facebook page, on X, on LinkedIn, and hopefully still on YouTube. Um, but uh, Larry, a couple of quick hits items as we kind of go out. Red was uh, noticed an article earlier today um, about North Carolina test scores still being below yep. uh, pre-COVID uh, um, uh, scores. So w in your mind, what is it? What's the gap here? Why aren't we closing on this? The reason is because, I mean, let, let, let's just take what happened with this most recent hurricane, right? You know, Wake County happened to let schools out because of the hurricane. It was the most beautiful day in all of North Carolina. Now, of course, if it had been bad, everyone would have said, oh, good, I'm glad we canceled. But 
Every single school district is trying to find every single way they can to get out of school. You want to know why? Because they want to keep pushing the year as far past December and January as they can. And why is that? School calendar. Again, I, I think it's interesting to see that the teachers don't want to get in there and teach. I think the number, when I last looked, you want to know the number of full weeks, the first semester, one of the number of full weeks that people are in school for? How many? It's like five. Really? Five. Okay. If we're serious about getting proficiency back to where it was, if we're serious about teaching these kids, with all due respect to the teachers, y'all need to just get in that school every day. Every single day that, that you can possibly get in there, and you need to focus on those kids. Let's not focus on LGBTQ agendas. Let's not focus on social issues. Let's not focus on woke nonsense. Let's get in there and teach them reading, writing, and arithmetic. Let's get back to what it is that this state was great for. I'll give you a good example. 2012, Charlotte Mecklenburg Schools won the Broad Prize. Best school district, urban school district in the country. Now, the proficiency scores specifically for African Americans are in the tank. All of them are below 50. There's not a single school except for maybe Huff, Providence, Ardrey Kell, Myers Park, and maybe a few others that are seriously at grade level proficiency. It's embarrassing. It's embarrassing. And the problem is that it's not just there. You can see it in Wake. You can see it in Guilford. You can see it in Cumberland. You can see it in every county where they focused on keeping those doors closed. They denied those students their constitutional right to an education. It is criminal in my mind, that these teachers have not been held accountable for their activism and that the teachers union in this state, NCAE, has not been sued for advocating for the learning loss. They did because they, they for years, oh, learning loss is a fiction. It doesn't really exist. That's bull. That is bunk. We all know that's bunk. The fact that they advocated for school closures is crazy. And the thing that triggered me the most just this last couple of weeks they're shutting schools down because of the ventilation systems and lack of HVAC. Didn't we have to pass a bill in January of 2021 that dealt with money for schools? Where'd that money go? I mean, Pete Callender pointed that out on WBT, going to give him credit for that. But I mean, that, that, like, it, they're lying to us. And that's the problem, is that we can't trust our school system. And, and to a certain extent, controversial opinion it's time to have a discussion about taking away control of education from local school boards. Local school boards are not properly educating our kids. They failed. So it's time to start talking about breaking up these school districts. And that's an issue. And, and so it's interesting to um, to to think about that because, you know, pr for prime example is, 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 you know, my kids have grown up in the Morsel Grade School District mm -hmm. and, you know, one of the best school districts, one of the best the school districts in the country. And, you know, Iredell State Schools, not, I mean, right there in is another good school system. But for years, when I first got to Mooresville, um, the, there was still talk and fights about merging those districts. Why are there two districts inside the same county? Why does Mooresville have its own school system as opposed to being merged in with everybody? And I still remember being at, you know, uh, events and things 
things like that, where if that conversation came up, I mean, it was, I mean, it was, you know, North versus South time in those types of things, passionate love for the school districts, um, you know, uh, in Mooresville graded school district. And so, and there has always been a fight, Uh, you know, former uh, uh, county commissioner and county uh, chairwoman, Sarah Harris, you know, basically you drew the line in the sand and said, you know, over, you know, from my cold dead hand, will you merge these these school school systems? Exactly. And so, and that has been, and, and to me, I have always been an advocate of smaller school districts, not bigger, um, because, you know, the, um, the local school boards that have, or they're in the smaller districts, they're closer to the kids, they're closer to the parents. They have the ability to adapt to the needs of their community. And these ginormous school systems like Charlotte Mecklenburg, there is absolutely no way in the world, any school board could effectively ensure the, to meet the needs of kids as big as that school district is. I mean, I'm not sure, I'm not sure that any administrator can properly manage a district as large as Charlotte Mecklenburg. Well, yeah. or or wake well to a certain extent. There that there has got to be some kind, and and again, there has to be accountability, right? Teachers who don't show that they're getting their kids to grade level, those teachers need to be fired. I'm sorry, if you're not doing the job, you're not supposed to be there, and we will hire someone who wants to do it. Now, here's the deal that I would make with the schools if they would be willing to take it. I would legitimately sit there and say, we will raise your pay 50% now and then tie it to inflation. But here's the deal. Principals get to hire and fire and it's immediate. There's no such thing as, no, no, principals get to hire and fire. Or we go to a, we go to a system where the school districts are smaller and the school districts are going to be governed like in like in like in South Carolina. Richland County has five. I think it's five different school districts just in Richland County, which is Columbia, South Carolina. You look at, you know, all the different school districts in, in, in all these other places. They're smaller. They're smaller. They're closer to the people. They're better. Make a deal with the school systems where we're going to get you to the pay level you want. OK, but we're going to get what we want, which is. You're going to go back to being accountable. We're going to get rid of this nonsense that you're teaching in the school systems. And we're going to get back to the basics because a classical education. No, why are we talking about sex in elementary school? Why are we having conversations with kids about what these children want to do or don't want to do with their bodies? And why, God forbid, are we trying to keep secrets from parents? Uh, Any parent or any, any adult with a kid who's not their own that advocates for that child to keep something from their parents is someone I never, ever, ever want around kids, period. Uh, no, 100%. And I think it's, and you know, and what's great is, you know, the state, the uh, General Assembly here has taken that. They've been you know, so aggressive. They've been so good aggressive on it, have, have passed bills, overridden vetoes on that. Yep. And so that, thank goodness thank uh, for that. But um, when we look, you know, obviously Charlotte Mecklenburg looking at a school bond. Yep. Um, and so, you know, from a test score standpoint, and then uh, I, one of the things you mentioned to me during the break was uh, former mayor Pat McCrory sort of injected himself into the school bond uh, discussion. Well, he injected himself into the school bond discussion by kind of unnecessarily trashing the consultants. I mean, I got to tell you, uh, Pat, Pat's one of the greatest public servants we've ever had in this region, and there's no doubt about that. But sometimes Pat likes to stir the pot. And you know something? It's going to be tough enough to win the school bond this year. Now, do I think that we do need the school bond? Yeah, probably we do. Am I happy with CMS? No, I'm really not. But the people they've hired... Uh, Morgan Jackson and and Nexus Strategies on the Democratic side, and Jim Blaine and Ray Martin, the differentiators on the Republican side, along with a local uh, local group. These are some of the sharpest minds, period, in all of North Carolina. 
And to come after them the way he did about this article that just got published on PPP is completely unnecessary. Not only is it completely unnecessary, it borders on on slander because you're basically accusing them of a crime. And, and the newspaper basically said, yeah, it's legal for them to take this. And that's the thing. It's like, that's unnecessary. Like, this is the kind of thing where it's like, you got Pat, Pat, Pat's number one issue as governor was learning to pick his battles, right? This wasn't, he didn't need to say that. Yeah. Not only did he not need to say that, he didn't, he didn't need to interject himself because the school bonds is going to be decided by people voting this year in November. It's a, it's a group that's usually always supported school bonds. I anticipate they're going to support school bonds, but it's the kind of unnecessary injection that makes people think that he's still got a personal beef. Yeah. And it just, it just, I, I, it, I, it came off as, it, it just came off as still better. Yeah, absolutely. And so with the time we have left, though, I do want to revisit real quick. Uh, you and I talked Republican presidential Re- politics presidential last debates. time. We talked yeah. about the debates and yep. the stage. You watched the uh, presidential debate from a couple mm-hmm. of weeks ago. Uh, do you think our predictions held true on that? Do you think our sort of feeling on that did based I off what you saw so. on stage? I think so. But I mean, uh, to a certain extent, I was Well, it would be completely Trump. illogical to think we'd have been wrong. No, I mean, I mean, no, I just, right. I mean it was more it, rhetorical right. than anything. Right. <laughs> but here's the thing. Trump didn't show up. Yeah. So we actually got to talk about policy. And again, it's it, everybody listening to the show who's, who's listened to me before or followed me in any way, shape, or form, th- I, am, I am the most conservative person that I think that, that exists. But I find myself to the middle of my own party because I refuse to support Donald Trump. And the issue continues to be that I support the concept of I want the most conservative person nominated who can get elected. Mm-hmm. That's it. I will tell you, Nikki Haley came across really well. Ron DeSantis came across really well. Uh, Tim Scott always comes across well. I just don't think it's his time yet. I, I just don't think he's he's quite ready. And then ultimately, the the, the thing that's going to really make the difference is going to come down to we're about to see some trials, right? Right. We're about to see some trials. If he's convicted, Trump's convicted. That's going to be rough for him. Yeah, absolutely. It will be interesting to see. But no, I was just interested in your thoughts because, like, I, I agree with your your take wholeheartedly about the debate. I thought Nikki Haley availed herself well. Liked Tim Scott a lot. Agree again. Just not his time. I did see an interesting comment about uh, Vivek Ramasamy uh, said that uh, <laughs> said that you know basically if 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 you wanted the um, if you wanted the uh, I guess the uh, charisma of Barack Obama with the policy depth of Donald Trump, yeah. that he's your guy. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I, I don't even I don't even pay attention to him yeah. at this point. Thanks for being on the show, Larry. My All things pleasure. sane. Hopefully, represent and saying we'll be back next week. Everyone have a great week. The new 1059 100.7 WSIC Statesville, Mooresville, North Charlotte.